All right. Let's, uh, why don't we get started with a word of prayer while the coffee kicks in, and then we'll get going. All right, let's pray. Blessed Lord, since you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. Great to see you all. Um, I, so there's, in the back, there's bookmarks for this next week. And then there's also some more books. If you, if you haven't gotten a book yet, um, there's just a whole stack of them. And there are more, so don't be afraid of taking the last one. I can always go grab some more. I could only carry so many. Um, we're on the third word this week, which um, I'll just say right off the bat, um, it's, a very per, it's a perplexing word. Um, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Um, and so I, I didn't give you a handout because I'm not sure what you want to do with this. So we'll see, we'll let you, we'll see, we'll see what you want to do. Well, let's start right off the bat. Um, do you have any questions? Any comments? Cindy? Well, he made a great big deal about Mary. He sure did. And some of that I'm not sure I really agree with. It's almost like he wanted to worship Mary instead of Christ. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. It's it's worth talking about that a little bit. So and I, I and hopefully you all perceive that um, I, there's a difference in how Romanus Cesario regards Mary and how we regard Mary, right? So if you were going to characterize, you, you, you use the word worship. Um, can you let's look in the book? Can you find some examples? This will be really helpful, I think. Can you find some examples, some places where he says things that made you uncomfortable? Yeah, Marilyn. Um, on page uh, 40, where it says, the saints strongly encourage us to always approach Jesus through Mary. Right. Never pray to Jesus through Mary. Right. Okay. That's great. And, and, and you're absolutely right. So... Um, if, you're, if you've been coming to Sunday morning Bible study, you're doing Hebrews, you have a Bible in front of you, open up, open up your Bible to Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 14. If you have the page number in those, in those Bibles, go ahead and shout it out. Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14. 1,003. Okay, all right, verse 14, um, and let's just take a look at, well, I'll just read a bit of this here. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there's a couple of things there. And this, this I think, um, at, at the base, settles the question of whether of approaching Jesus through Mary. So um, what kind of a high priest do we have? What, how is he characterized? What kind of a what kind of a priest is he? He's the great high priest. Um, he's divine, but even in as a divine high priest, what um, how, how do we relate to him? Order of Melchizedek, um, chosen among men. Right? He didn't elevate himself to the role of high priest. Can he sympathize with us in our weaknesses? Yes. yes. yes right. Uh, so. One reason why you need a mediator is if you can't approach God, right? And for the people of Israel, God was, in fact, unapproachable, right? You couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could do it one time a year. And he had to go in and, and throw big, two big handfuls of incense on the, on the altar of incense so that he wouldn't accidentally see the, the most holy place, the, the mercy seat, the, the, the atonement, uh, the place where God comes and sits down on the Ark of the Covenant, because God was unapproachable. Now, that is uh, precisely the reason why Jesus came, so that we could have a mediator who was better than any of the mediators of the Old Testament, these priests who had to go in and not only offer sacrifices for the people, but also had to offer sacrifices for themselves, right? And even more, to make the point even stronger, he says, look, this this." priest, this priest that we have, um, is not just a, the, a perfect priest, a great high priest, but he is uh, completely sympathetic to you because he's suffered everything you've suffered. We're going to see this this coming weekend. Um, we see the start of it as Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. So it goes from the end of Luke chapter 3, Jesus' baptism. He comes out of the, he's praying, and as he's praying, the Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and God says, you are my beloved son, right? Just as it says here in Hebrews. And then the Spirit kicks him out into the wilderness and he's tempted by the, he's, he's tempted by the devil for 40 days, fasting for 40 days. Uh, and he endures these uh, pretty serious temptations, which are actually very relevant for our discussion of meditation because you know the, you know the temptation scene. How does it go? Um, what, what, are some, what are the temptations that Jesus faces? We'll re- rehearse this a bit. This will help me in my sermon preparation. So, uh, what are the temptations that Jesus faces? Hunger. hunger. Okay, so he's hungry. He's not eaten for 40 days. And what does the devil say to him? Right. And, I mean, that's not... So bread is a good thing. Jesus loves bread. Uh, and Satan here is saying, you, you, can, you can do this. You have authoritative words. Turn the bread into... Turn the stone into bread. What does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, right? So he takes this good thing that Satan is trying to, trying to pervert, and he applies God's word to it. Kind of like what we do when we're faced with temptation, right? It gets even better, though. Uh, what other temptations are there? Right. So uh, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, says, if you bow down and worship me, they'll all be yours. I can give them to whoever I want to. And Jesus says... You shall worship only the Lord your God, right? The last one in Luke is most interesting uh, because, what, what's the last temptation in Luke? Yeah, right. So what does Satan do that's so pernicious in that temptation? He knows everything. Well, he knows everything, right? Who does he quote? The Bible. The Bible. He quotes God. 
right? Well, let's, uh, let me just, uh, I'll pull it up here. Um, it doesn't, doesn't hurt to hear it again. Um, this is Luke chapter 4. Uh, uh, Satan takes him to Jerusalem and puts him on the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And he quotes the Psalms, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Which is remarkable because uh, it's the Bible. (laughs) It's God's word. God's word, the temptation here is for Jesus to take God's word and, and yeah, apply it on his own terms, Right? which is a temptation that we're faced with when we read Scripture, right? So anytime you encounter something in Scripture that makes you uncomfortable, um, then there are lots of, lots of places where we're uncomfortable. So I think about like the, the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek, right? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Um, do good to those who hate you. Uh, those things make us very uncomfortable because we don't like doing them. And, our, and the temptation is for us to rationalize, to adjust, to tweak, make them say what we want them to say. But what does Jesus do? How does, he, how does Jesus deal with this temptation? Not by, um, not by snapping back with some sort of argument, but by quote, quoting Scripture right back at the devil, right? Um, quoting quoting the, the promises of God um, as well. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because a, a trust, trust, faith in God, which is, um, testing God, like Luther describes prayers like this. Um, he says, prayers which are like uh, prayers in which which aren't done in faith, believing that believing that God hears prayers and answers them is like throwing rocks in a tree, hoping that you knock down some fruit. Right? Um, the same thing is would be true here if Jesus leapt off the pinnacle of the temple. He'd be he'd be see, you know, is God really going to treat me as His son? Is He really going to save me? So. Now we've gone far afield. How did we get here? Um, this, is how, this is how Jesus is a sympathetic high priest, right? So uh, base level here when we're dealing with Mary is we have somebody better than Mary as our mediator. Now, it's important for us to spend a little time thinking about why Mary is so venerated. And in fact, um, Roman Catholics are careful to draw a distinction that we, that's often gets missed in the English language, because you use the word worship, and that, in fact, is often the same word that's used of Mary as is the used of, of, of Christ. Um, there are different kinds of worship, which isn't, uh, now, this isn't to say that, um, that it's appropriate still, but there's a distinction. So, so Mary is venerable in a different way or to a different degree than God is to be, to be venerated, to be worshipped. Now, it's problematic because for... Uh, because, because it's tempting, it's very easy to, to blur the lines, right? And all of a sudden, um, you, you can establish all kinds of reasons to, to go to Mary. So what are some good reasons, what, what are some pious reasons why uh, you would go to Mary as opposed to Jesus? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, I need, I need, um, I need somebody who's, yeah, it's a normal person, right? As if, as if Jesus isn't a normal person, right? And this is, this is the thing, um, so in some ways, it's because Christ is so exalted in his divinity that, um, you know, I need somebody a little bit closer to home. Um, a mother, right? How can Jesus decline the requests of his mother? Right? So, if, so if Mary appeals for me, um, certainly he'll have to listen to that, right? Um, and so you can see how these, these are earnest, sort of pious motives. Um, 
but they detract from the glory of Christ and his, and his, uh, his sympathy towards us. Um, he promises us everything. He inter- he's our mediator. He gives us everything himself, personally. Body and blood, on the altar, um, uh, he, de- he delivers it himself. Um, so, and in fact, uh, one, other, one other note here to make is, is that historically speaking, uh, again, it, um, sort of the, the, the veneration of Mary comes from um, a really important theological discussion that, that arose in the early church um, that has to do with the title of Mary. Mary was called the Theotokos. Uh, so some, some people in the early church wanted to call Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer. So why is that important? Why would uh, calling Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer, be an important theological point? Can you, can you, can you guess? Can you f- think about it? somebody is buried, buried or carrying that God, that would almost mean that whoever is carrying or burying that God is equal to or greater than. Okay. So that is the corollary. That's the, that's the thing that comes later, which is, which is sort of the result of, of this language. Holly, go ahead. Uh, I was thinking about it in terms of the church. Okay. Okay. In the church, as Mary was the bearer of God, she, she gives us God. The church gives us God. Right. Yeah. We'll we'll talk some. We'll talk more when we, especially when we look at John 19. We'll talk some more about the, the relationship between Mary and the church. Um, this really this really centers on the question of whether or not Jesus is in fact God. Okay. So Mary gives birth to Jesus, um, and if you say she is not. Theotokos, not the God-bearer, then you're saying Jesus isn't God. So we have to insist, we have to insist that, Jesus, that Mary gave birth to God, right? Which is, that is a, an astounding thing to say, right? In fact, this kind of, uh, that kind of language is problematic, throughout, that, that bothers people throughout the history of the church. So at the time of the Reformation, there was this famous phrase that the Reformed churches used when they said the finite is not capable of the infinite, right? Which is why bread and wine can't be the body and blood of Jesus, right? In the same way, the early church, they argued about whether or not Jesus could actually be divine. But scripture is unequivocal, right? It's clear. Jesus is God. And so naturally, in in order to make that point, they said, well, that means Mary is the mother of God. Okay, but we can extend that too far, right? We can start to we can start to draw conclusions from that which aren't evident in Scripture. Take that same thing and say, um, how can someone who is lesser than God bear God? Right. Unless God allowed it. Sure. Right, exactly. And so the, the question becomes, and this is really sort of fundamental in how we understand Mary. We'll talk, we can look some more at, uh, at the Annunciation too, because this, really, this is really crucial at, at, at this point. Um, why is it that Mary can bear God? Is it because of something inherent in her? Is it because she's a special person? Or is it because 
God has favored her. God has elected her to be the, his, the bearer of his son, right? Barb. I guess I just see it that she bore God because the Holy Spirit came over her as a virgin and right. Christ is God because of the Holy Spirit. Right. She had a lot of other children after that. They're not gods. Well, so now this is, it, it is a, uh, a lively question as to whether or not she had other children. Um, but, but, so here's another side of the reasoning. This is all, this is all really important because j- just, if, if only to show that um, this stuff doesn't just appear out of the blue, right? In fact, most, most uh, sort of, the, the ways we go astray are, are usually, they usually start with something really good, really important, like this. So we, we insist that she's the bearer of God. But then that you say, the, uh, scholastic theologians, philosophical theologians, people who were you know, thinking about these things really hard, they said, well, what are the mechanics of it? How is it that Jesus is sinless? Well, it must be because he didn't have a human father, right? And then it probably helped that Mary was a virgin. And it would help even more if she was also sinless, right? Okay, so you see, and, and that, I mean, it's, it's all for the sake of keeping Jesus sinless, make, understanding why that's the case. Now, there, again, we're inferring things that we, we don't have any reason to infer. And in fact, Scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's only one person who, who is without sin, right? And that's Christ. Donna. Yeah, Mary is holy, yes, but in the same way that you and I are holy. No, I mean, really holy without sin. Right. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't happen until um, the Council of Trent um, in the, the 16th century, the late 1500s, um, where that became, that became the doctrine of the, of the Catholic Church. So the Church Right, absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly. So in some ways, um, having, that, having, having a, a doctrine about Mary um, is, was designed to safeguard the glory of Christ, but you see how it, goes, how it, goes, how it can go wrong. If suddenly um, Mary becomes a, a, a co-redeemer, somebody like, like um, Romanus Cesario says, let's see, there's another... There's another um, that's right. Yep. Which is which is just it's it's not true, right? Um, it does sound nice, yeah. And it and it and it is it is nice to think that Mary, like the other saints, are doing the very same thing that saints do on earth, praying for and loving their brothers and sisters, right? But we um, as soon as it as soon as it detracts from what Christ does for us, it's a problem. Right, and that's why. That's why. Uh, now, um, we tend to be, and Lutherans have tended to be, and the Reformed, the, the Church of the Reformation has tended to be really reactive to these sorts of things. And if you read um, Luther, uh, he talks. He, I mean, and 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 even the Lutherans that come after Luther, they say, "Look, we got to get this straight." But Mary's a really special person, still, right? Because uh, as, as the angel says to her, blessed are you among women, right? And moreover, as we see, what's important for the scene at the cross, do you remember what happened when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple and Simeon 
um, you know, Simeon, who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. But then he, said, then he turns and says something to Mary. Do you remember? This is in uh, Luke. Yeah, Luke. Yeah, right. We saw it, we saw it like on, in all these movies. Luke 2, uh, uh, verse 33. His, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And then in parentheses, we, the, there's no parentheses in Greek, so, uh, uh, but we put them in. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Right? So, so um, Mary suffered in a particular way at the death of Jesus because he was her son, right? And, and uh, we shouldn't diminish that. In fact, and, and there's a lot of good reasons to dimin- not to diminish that. One, because it's in the Bible. And two, because uh, it's important that we always maintain the, the historicity of Jesus. He came at a particular time, in a particular place, among particular people, had a particular family who, who loved him or regarded him in a particular way. Um, and it, it's, it, he's not just some generic person, right? So... Uh, his, for instance, at the cross, he speaks to the, the disciple whom he loved, right? And not the other disciples. Um, and not all the disciples are the same, right? Not all the disciples have the same role to fill. Paul, even Paul, who comes later, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Peter's going to go to the Jews. Um, we've got different jobs because this is real stuff that we're dealing with. Um, and these are real people that we're dealing with. Um, and this is, Paul talks about this in Galatians, some great some great stuff here in Galatians that we read at Christmas time. Galatians chapter 4. Let me, I'll just read. We'll come back to Galatians 4, but just uh, um, briefly, he says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, Paul's talking about the law there, how important it was that Jesus was born under the law. Also that he was born of a woman, just like we all are. And also that he was born in time, right? Not just, it, it, it happened at a particular moment in time, when the, when the time was just right. Um, and uh, and think, about, think about how important this is in the, the creed that we confess. There are only two people besides Jesus mentioned in the creed. Do you know who they are? Pontius Pontius Pilate and the, and the Virgin Mary, right? Uh, born of the Virgin Mary. That's really important. And, <laughs> and suffered under Pontius Pilate because uh, it was at the time when, when Romans were ruling uh, the Middle East. Okay? Yeah, Kirby. Um, I noticed, like, in the first two chapters that I read, that Caesarea is very focused on order, like the theme of order. Yeah. So this, before I even read this, I'm like, I wonder if he's going to say anything about order. And sure enough, like, right in the first... He sentences him and he talks about how Jesus restores, he provides an order. Yes. He, he's, he's gonna rest- when he leaves the earthly world, he's obviously restoring the order between mother and son there as well as restoring order. But I, it's interesting, how I tended to focus with Mary on this part where he says, whereas Eve contributed to the death of the human race, Mary participates in the restoration of the order of life. Right. So rather than, I wasn't really thinking about the mediation part.
mm-hmm. her of this chapter, but more how she was very much a participant in right. order being restored. Right. Giving birth to Jesus in a way that I, I'm not. Like, That's I'm true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, Mary is venerable because of her faithful response to the angel, right? She says, she says, let it be to me according to your word, right? Now, um, you can press that too far and say, well, if Mary hadn't cooperated, none of this would have worked out. Um, and, and, and therefore, therefore, <laughs> Mary, you know, had, had chipped in a little bit, right? It, it, because, but we know the order that things happen, right? First comes God's grace and then, then comes faith, right? Um, but you're right. So uh, her, her role in the birth of Jesus um, is it, it's exemplary for us. And she does it in a, in a way that, that, that uh, um, sort of pinpoints how we're supposed to, how, how we're supposed to live as faithful, as faithful um, bearers of Jesus even, right? Um, but not in, in, she says it in a unique way, right? I just like how he, he, a lot of what he thinks about is this restoration yeah. of Eden. Right, right. It, almost every chapter focuses on how everything is this restoration. Right. Which, I don't know. I like how it's all tied together. He thinks really interestingly. It, it, that's exactly right. And, and at the end, he sums it up. He's, he sums up these first three words. This is on page 41, the last paragraph. He says, consider Christ's first three words from the cross. Pardon, Father, forgive them. Beatification, today you will be with me in paradise. And now provision. So, uh, so he, he, this is how he establishes the church, right? He forgives, he makes holy, he makes saints, and then he provides for them. Uh, and that's, that's I, 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 you're right. This, rest, this restoration of order, this provision, returning to Eden where everything that they needed, they had before them, um, and their relationships were sound and pure. That's what, uh, that's what Jesus is doing. So now we need to, we need to um, spend a little time with the text of John uh, to, to, to figure out what's really going on. But at first, do you have any more, any more questions or comments about... Yeah, Donna. That's the that's the line of reasoning, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. And 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 you see how it's um, you see how it's just it's just taking it taking what Jesus is and, and moving one step. It's one step removed, right? He's saying. She was obedient, and I think it's wonderful that the Lord chose her. Right, exactly. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Marilyn. The right way to look at Mary is like Elizabeth, when she came to Elizabeth, and what she said. And I think it said, I'm not sure of this, but I think it says that she sort of prophesied. She was filled with the Holy Spirit when she spoke. Yeah. So we know that the words that Elizabeth spoke were... What are those words again? This is good for us to... For us to... That's how I think of Mary. I think she's highly favored. Yeah. So uh, Luke one thirty nine, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Uh, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she said, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? There it is, the Theotokos right there. The mother of my Lord should come to me. So Mary, or so Elizabeth regards her as this, her visit, the visit of Mary as this, this per- peculiar blessing, right? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, and blessed is she, why? Who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, right? So she's blessed uh, in her faith. In her faith. Holly. Is this the first time that anyone's been filled with the Holy Spirit? No. Um, yeah, I'm thinking, so the, the Spirit comes on people in the Old Testament. Not, the language isn't quite the same. Um, that's a good question. No, that's, that's good. <laughs> it is, it's the same language that's used for, for prophecy in general, right? So, um, the Spirit of the Lord came, the, or the Word of the Lord came to me. Yeah. That's a good question. I'll look into it. <laughs> Krista. Uh, Pastor, did, uh, did Mary not accompany Jesus on his journey with the other ladies? It seems that way. Yeah, right. That, uh, that, that, she, was with, that she was with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So open up to John now. John 19. So what, what Romanus Cesario does is he says that, the, that these words from, of Jesus are uh, they're useful in two ways. One, you see Jesus' provision, restoring the order, preserving his family. But then also he says that he's giving, Jesus is giving Mary to all of us from the cross, which you know, we have to hold back there. The, the analogy, and, and, there, and here's where the, the analogy sort of falls fails, right? So if we are embodied in the, if we are represented by the disciple, the beloved disciple to whom Jesus gives Mary as his mother, the question is, who is Mary? Is Mary herself or is she representative of something else, somebody else? Um, and that, let's, take a, let's take a closer look at that. So John 19, and we got to get the context here, so I'm going to read a longer section, the whole, the, most of the crucifixion here. Verses seven, uh, 16 through 37. So what I want you to do is, is to listen for um, how this, this uh, giving of his mother and, and giving of a son fits into the crucifixion. How does it fit? I think it's, I think it's a perplexing uh, scene, and we have to figure out how it fits. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. 
When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So, there's all these things that happen during the crucifixion. These sort of little vignettes, things that happen. Why does John tell us about these things? He was an eyewitness. Okay. And that he should believe. Okay. So, so his purpose in telling us that we should, is that we should believe. What's the proof? What's, what gives credence to uh, his, his testimony and why, why should we believe it? Why is it important testimony? Why are these things important? Yeah. Notice the refrain. This happened to fulfill the scriptures. This happened to fulfill the scriptures, right? So the, the dividing his garments, the, his thirst, and not a bone of his body is broken, right? So those three things fulfill the scriptures. But then in, right in the middle, there's this thing. Woman, behold your son. And, and then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. So how does that fit? What, as, I guess at a, point the end of that question, what also does that have to do with this? After this, Jesus knowing it was all finished. Right. Right. So, oh, good. So keep on, draw that through. What do you, what do you conclude from that? After, and, and, and said, while he was in to fulfill his scriptures, I thirst. But it's like, everything was all finished. In, I mean, he's not dead yet. Right. But he had done everything that he... He had done everything that he came to do. Including this thing that he had most recently done, giving his mother to the beloved disciple and giving the disciple to his mother, right? So his will, last will and testament almost. Yeah. So I'm like taking care of... Okay, good. Taking care of, I'll just say taking care of business. Okay, okay. Humanly business. Okay. Now that's good. So that's certainly true that he's taking care of human business here. But why? 
But, yeah, and why is it here in John, right? Uh, I was thinking about when we were reading back to the church, Mary being the church. Yeah. Instead of Jesus taking care of the church here, he's given John to, to be the first pastor, uh, to take care of Mary as the church. Okay. Yeah, that's that we could you could do that. Nope, that's not. I don't think it's. I don't think it's too much of a stretch. And, and I so I, I do think what's important to note, so we can think it. We can spend time thinking about this. Is while he is taking care of human business here, his last will and testament, just as a guy, right? Um, the context indicates that there's something much more important going on, right? Um, Barb, well, I think back to the when he did the miracle of the the guy that was lower down, and he said, and then he finally said, well, who is my mother? Right. My yes. So it's, it's like, <laughs> I keep thinking of that because it seems like such a dichotomy. Yes. Because one place is kind of saying, you know, who's my mother? You know, I don't have... Perfect. <laughs> Let's look at it real quick. Or, or with even the uh, wedding in Cana. Yep. What does this have to do with me, woman? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, that, and, that's, and, and, even, and even here... The language he says he says woman, it's it's not incidental. It, that is a stark way of speaking, right? It's uh, and it, it's how he addresses her at other times too. But uh, in Mark chapter three, um, you you know this. Let me just read it for you real quick. His mothers and, bro- and brothers came. So this this is another um, piece of scripture that puts Mary into perspective for us. Okay, his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And in Luke, another great place where we hear about about this, Luke 11, I can't read my writing, 27 and 28, As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So, who's better than his mother and his brothers? The church, right? But that lends to what the... Exactly, yeah, yeah. The church that is given to John. Right. So now... Okay, so okay, so so John wrote this gospel. He's you know he's kind of <laughs> so I you know you could you can think about it. It's it's not it's not clear. So um, giving the apostles to the church is, is one is one um, angle that you could take. You could also um, look at it in, in the reverse. Although so the the language is pretty explicit. He gives first his mother to the disciple. Woman, behold your son. And then to the disciple, behold your mother. And then what the commentary is, the disciple took her into his home. It seems to indicate that the disciple's providing for the mother. But the relationship is mother-son, right? Um, and this is, this is how we understand the church. Cyprian, uh, an early church father, said it in, in, in um, really a, a clear way. He said, you can't have God as your father without the church as your mother, Right? And uh, this is how we talk about baptism, right? Being born again. Um, 
and, uh, and, and this, is how we, this is how we understand the church, as uh, providing, providing for the care of God's people. This is great. In fact, um, I think you talked about this last week with Pastor Nelson, Revelation 12. Remember the dragon and, and, all, and that story? Let's turn there real quick. It's a great story. We're going to read it. And this is John again, maybe even in sort of interpreting for us what he means um, what he means here by Mary and, and the disciple whom, he, whom Jesus loves. Revelation chapter 12, really near the end. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Who's that child? Okay. She gave birth to the male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's from the Psalms. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the stand of the sea. So the dragon, Satan, the accuser, is making war on the... This is is where we stand. He's making war on the rest of her children, the brothers of Christ. And the woman, um, the woman here, uh, you know, is, uh, is in the wilderness, right? Just like we sort of, as we, as we pursue, uh, progress through Lent, it's, we're, re, we're sort of reenacting the wilderness journey of Israel. Um, this is what the church does. We're here uh, going along the way um, while Satan, Satan pursues us. Um, it's a, it's a, I don't know what, it, what all of this means. The earth coming to her aid. It's a brilliant, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's, it's a great story. Um, but it tells us exactly what's going on right now, right? Satan pursued Jesus, couldn't, couldn't defeat him, was thrown down. 
the offspring, the, the first offspring, the first, first, first fruits from the dead, and now he's after us. Um, and he, we're after, he's after us because we are the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Yes? Yeah, and, yeah, and, sure. And in and in that sense, as brothers and 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 uh, brothers and sisters of Jesus, right? Um, yeah, and and this is where Mary sort of uh, takes on a symbolic role for us as the, as as the church, the the one who who provides for. Um, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Any other thoughts or questions? Um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just only thought because it's sometimes um, uh, a little bit um, um, the original sin yeah. uh, affects all who share the same human nature as Adam and Eve. Uh, this, uh, 39. Um, there was always a, um, a question, but it's a question mark sometimes with uh, this original sin. Gunda said sometimes, even a baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> is, uh, is right. Yeah, which is which is um, so hard for us to swallow, right? So hard for us to to presume that uh, even a baby has original sin. But that's that's precisely that's the reason why uh, we insist on infant baptism, right? Because even they need to be drowned. And we say these terrible things about the kids, right? Um, we say. That all, uh, all sin which they have inherited from Adam and the sins which they have committed since would be drowned and die, right? <laughs> Matthias was, what, seven, six days old. Yeah, he was sleeping most of the time, not really sinning. Um, but nonetheless, they, those sins were drowned and died, right? Along with his old, his, the, the sin which he inherited from Adam. Um, and, and that's the reason why, uh, one, for one thing, we have to speak properly about Mary uh, and the saints, but uh, that's also why it's so important that Jesus be precisely who he is and nobody else, why he be the son of God, born of a virgin. Um, If he's anybody else, he doesn't do us any good, right? Holly. Okay, good. Um, no, that's good. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, they are, I mean, so what's really, so what's so important about Mary that's brought out in, in the Gospels, uh, which one is it? It's either Matthew or Luke that we hear Mary's lineage, genealogy, is that she comes from David. She's, a, she's, an, she's an heir of the throne of David, right? Uh, which also means she's part of, Abraham's family. And Paul makes this point uh, excessively because it's so important. He says, look, Abraham is not your father because you are of the race of Abraham, but Abraham, the man of faith, is the father of all those who are 
children, children by faith, right? So um, in that sense, they are, uh, Mary's completing what, sort of at the tail end of what, what Abraham started in terms of genealogy, right? That's a genealogy of faith uh, that brings us to Jesus. Um, and then that we, that we continue in the church. So that's, that's a great observation. That's good. Cindy. Did Abraham have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that what drawn faith? So the Holy Spirit, I mean, didn't just, a little compelling to familiar, the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit must have been on all these prophets. R- right, yeah. yeah. Right. So, what does Jesus promise to the disciples? He says, "I'm going to send. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter." Right. Um, this, what's the word that's used? Paraclete. There you go. Um, thank you. Um, the, the Paraclete, the Comforter. Um, so he comes in a special way in the New Testament because Jesus goes, and they need some. We need something, right? Um, but that. But just like Jesus isn't absent from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit isn't absent from the Old He's not Jesus in the Old Testament. He's the Son of God in the Old Testament, right? Um, the Holy Spirit is there doing what the Holy Spirit does, pointing, pointing to ahead to the redemption that Jesus is bringing. Yeah. Okay. Great. Barb. It, it bothers me because I think I should uh, bless Mary more than I do, but I just constantly think of the first commandment, thou shalt have yeah. no other gods before me. Right. I'm so afraid to put too much on her that I will be taking away. Yeah, that's good. And you, that, that's, that's uh, an appropriate way to think about it. So when we think about Mary or any saint or even uh, faithful people in the church, how do we think about them? We think about them as uh, faith, faithful examples to us of how God blesses people that he promises to bless, right? And how he carries out those promises. So uh, when you think about Mary, you think about her as uh, somebody that Jesus showed favor to and carried, carried through terrible suffering and brought her, brought her to the resurrection, just like he's going to for you, right? Um, she points you to Jesus. If she does anything other than that, then, then, it's, then it's wrong. Then it's not honoring the first commandment, right? Just like, uh, just like it. I mean, that's it's the same way. That's why this in the Lutheran confessions, we, it, it talks about the saints uh, in this way. So again, the the Lutherans said, "Look, we gotta take a step back because there's all of this. There's there's this cult, this worship of the saints. But we still really like the saints because they went through a lot of things that we're going through, and it's very helpful for us to see." how God was faithful to them, how God, you know, kept his promises and showed his love to them as well, right? Uh, and that's how, we, that's how we honor them and regard them. Okay, let's close with prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.